point of view. Thank you, uh, Brother John, for leading us in our song worship to our God and our Father. Uh, he was certainly helping us to stretch our voices, I think, on that last song as Anna was singing soprano going all the way to the top and I'm dragging bottom on the bass. Um, but what a wonderful thought it is that we do not have to walk through this world alone, that we have our Creator to walk with us each step of the way. Uh, just a couple of things to mention before we get into our lesson this morning. Uh, my family and I, Lord willing, are planning to uh, be gone for a few days beginning on Tuesday and hopefully be back uh, late Sunday evening next Sunday uh, to visit uh, family, to visit Anna's uh, sister and her family in the Athens-Huntsville area and to visit for a few days with her parents in the Birmingham area and uh, perhaps to have a day or two uh, just for the five of us to be away. Our kids, as I think many of you know, are homeschooled and so they uh, finished school last Friday and I know they were excited, and the teacher uh, was just as excited, if not more, than they were. So uh, we uh, will be away from you for a few days, but as always, uh, any of you can uh, contact me uh, by call or text or anything that you need while we are away. Uh, Brother Brent is going to be uh, preaching at the uh, worship hour next Sunday, so uh, you can look forward to listening to, to him. Another thing that I need to clear up, uh, given Brother Nons, uh, what he said in the announcements last Sunday. And uh, before he started speaking, Anna was already whispering to me. She said, did you know that you said you called your mother once a month? <laughs> and I, I was thinking, no. And so it was mentioned, and uh, several of you mentioned that to me. And I, uh, Sunday night or Monday, whenever the, the uh, video was put up on YouTube, I watched it. That's what I said. Uh, Y'all are going to have to come to realize that it's not so much what I say, but what I mean, okay? <laughs> I obviously meant to say I call my mom once a week. And to uh, put anybody's mind at rest, uh, last Sunday afternoon, I went home and called my mom. And I hope that you did the same as well. A growing church, I think it should go without saying, but sometimes we may not think about this, but a growing church is comprised of growing people. That is what a church is. That is what the church that belongs to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. It is a body. It is a collection of saved people. As individual saints that make up that particular church, and I'm thinking about that from the standpoint of local congregations, as individual saints that make up those local churches grow in their own walk with God, the collection of saints also grows in the work that God has given us to do together. And as we grow, I believe we are equipping and preparing ourselves to serve in ways that we perhaps previously have not. When that occurs, it is sometimes the case that our brothers and sisters in Christ are taking note of the spiritual progress that we are making in our own lives. And it may be the case that they ask us to serve in some way that is new to us. And I believe such is the case with one of our beloved brothers here, Brother Drew Martin. As it was announced to us last Sunday, our brother Drew has stated his desire to serve the Lord and to serve us in this congregation in doing the work of a deacon. And we are now in the process of considering him for this good work. And so since our minds are presently thinking about him and presently thinking about those 
who are deacons and the work of a deacon, I would invite you to join me this morning as we look at some things that Scripture says to us about what I have entitled God's special servants. We're going to think this morning about some things that the New Testament has to say to us about deacons. Uh, And in the passage that our brother Don read for us at the beginning of our assembly this morning, uh, this is supposed to be uh, someone's idea, representation of what goes on in John chapter 13. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And of course, all of us who are Christians are called to follow Christ and to be a servant as He was. But we're going to think this morning about being servants in a special and a unique sense, that of being a deacon. As we think about the word deacon, just to give a few definitions of that particular word, uh, it is the idea of one who is an attendant, is the idea of one who is a waiter, one who is a servant, as we've already said this morning, one who is a minister. Sometimes we use that word minister and just apply it to people like myself or Brent that have devoted our lives to preaching and teaching the gospel and to helping people come to faith in Jesus Christ to, to begin their walk in relationship with Him. And certainly even the Apostle Paul, as we read through the New Testament, describes himself and refers to himself as being a minister of the gospel of Christ. But in using that kind of language, he's not giving himself some kind of title. He's not talking about some position that he had in the Lord's body. He is just simply saying that he is a servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As he often refers and other New Testament writers refer to themselves as being servants of Christ or bondservants of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul even speaks about himself in Apollos, doesn't he? In those kinds of, that kind of terminology in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that we're just servants of God. You know, I, I may have planted and Apollos come behind me and watered, but it is God who is, going, who is behind this whole process. It is God who will give the increase. We are merely servants of God. And so, again, in a broad sense, all of us who are Christians are to be ministers. We are to be servants But in a very unique sense, that is true of one who is a deacon. This comment was also made about the Greek word that is translated into our English deacon in the New Testament. It's the idea of one who is executing the commands of another, especially of a master. And of course, that would apply, I believe, to all of us again who are Christians, that we are slaves of Christ. That terminology is used throughout the New Testament. And so a deacon is serving Christ first and foremost, He is their master just as he is the master of all of us who are Christians. We're going to look at this passage in just a few minutes from Acts chapter 6. And there is some, I know, debate uh, among people as to whether what is said here, the seven men that uh, were selected and chosen by the church in Jerusalem to take care of a specific need to meet that specific uh, situation, whether they were deacons or not. I kind of take the, the position that they... Uh, perhaps were. If you take a, a different position, that's fine. But it's interesting to me that the Greek word that is used there in Acts 6 and verse 2 has the sense of to provide for or to care for. And I believe that truly uh, pictures, if you will, the work of one who is a Christian, but also the work of one who is a deacon, that they have been given by the Lord in a local congregation to provide for us as God's people as followers of Christ to take care of us. Uh, That idea of taking care of is also true of shepherds, though, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that they are to be men who have proven by their family life that they can take care of their family, that they can provide for their family, not just on a physical level, but 
in all ways that their family needs their care and, and providing for, so it is for those who would serve as deacons. The Greek term, as I've already mentioned to you, for deacon that is used in the New Testament is used many times in many passages in kind of a general sense. But again, it is also used, I believe, in a specific sense. As with any word that is used in the Bible, we have to put it into its proper context. And we have to let the context determine and tell us where, where, how it is being used. And so again, while Christ calls all of us who are his followers to follow him to be servants, just like he is the greatest servant, the master servant, there are some in the body of Christ who can serve in this special, unique way as a deacon in the local church. There are a variety of ways, I think, that we could approach this particular study. Uh, I have approached it in, from many different aspects in the past when I have preached on elders or deacons, but I've chosen to approach our study this morning by just focusing our minds, first of all, and throughout the study on three key thoughts about deacons, to think about their character, to think about their conduct, to think about their experience. As we talk about a man's character, we are speaking of the spiritual qualities that he possesses. And as is true, I believe, of those who would serve as shepherds in a local congregation, they may have these characteristics or spiritual qualities, attributes in different degrees, and they will. And so we're not looking for a perfect man but we are looking for someone who has these spiritual qualities about him. This is describing who a man truly is. It's not just who we see on the outside, but who he really is on the inside. As we talk about a man's character or conduct rather this morning, uh, to me, this is a practical uh, uh, living out, if you will, of his uh, character in his life each day, talking to us about how these spiritual qualities or characteristics show themselves in his attitude toward life, in his attitude in dealing with his brethren, in his actions, in his words, and just everything about who he is. And then experience is tied into that. This is the idea of someone who has some spiritual maturity. All of us need to realize whether we are Christians for just a few months or we have been Christians for decades that we're to be growing up in Christ, as we've spoken of in a couple of sermons already uh, this year. We're not looking for, again, a perfect man who never makes any mistakes, who, who never says something that he shouldn't, uh, who, who always has the perfect attitude that a Christian should have. We're, we're all going to have days, even as you look at the life of the apostles. <laughs> and especially when Jesus was still here on earth, there were lots of times if Jesus had not been looking at the potential that these men have, he could have just said, I'm done. <laughs> I don't think that this is worth it. We are all human beings, and that's not to use those flaws and weaknesses that we have as an excuse. But it is to say we're not looking for perfect men, because if we are, we're not going to find them. But these are men that have experience with life. They have experience with people. They have some experience with God, and even you might think this is a little bit strange, but having some experience with Satan, <laughs> that they have wrestled and battled Satan, that they have some spiritual maturity about them. And so a brother that serves as a deacon or one that the congregation perhaps is considering to do this good work uh, must meet God's requirements in these three areas of his life, in his character, and his conduct, and in his experience. Let's think for a few minutes about the character of a man who would serve the Lord in the congregation as a deacon. And to go to this passage here in Acts chapter 6, and notice especially at verse 3, we're not going to read this whole text. I hope we're 
uh, generally at least familiar with that if we're not specifically. But you remember the problem that has arisen here in this congregation of who knows how many thousands upon thousands, maybe ten to 15,000 Christians, some have estimated, are now a part of the church here at Jerusalem by the time we come to Acts chapter 6. And there were some, Jews, some widows who were being overlooked. Their daily needs were not being met. Whether that was a matter of some showing partiality to them, discrimination because uh, they, they spoke a different dialect, because they had a different background, maybe they looked a little bit different. I don't know what all the reasons were, but there was a problem that needed to be addressed here. And this is how the apostles decided to address it. As they addressed the congregation and said there at verse 3, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. I want you to notice the character qualities that are given of these seven men that the church there in Jerusalem chose to be in charge of this good work. Number one, the apostles said to the congregation, they need to be men of good reputation. That is, they need to be men who are giving honest and credible testimony that when they speak, you can count on what they are telling you. They need to be men who are trustworthy, not only in what they say, but trustworthy in their actions. Again, does that mean perfectly trustworthy? Are we looking for a man that never stumbles in that particular way? That, that never sins? If we are, we're, we're, we're going to be severely disappointed. But generally, as we look at this man's life and as the congregation here in Jerusalem was encouraged to look out among them and to choose these seven men to take on this particular work that needed to be done in that congregation, the apostles were saying, this is the kind of man you need to look for. This generally characterizes who he is. Secondly, the apostles told the church there in Jerusalem, you need to look for a man who is full of the Spirit. That could have a couple of meanings, at least in my mind. Number one, it could be saying you, you look for men who have a full measure, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. They have the ability to perform miracles. We see that with a couple of the seven that are chosen here as the book of Acts goes on. You might remember uh, uh, Stephen. Well, I guess he didn't maybe have the, the power to do miracles, but Philip did as you come to Acts chapter 8, and he goes to Samaria, and the people there are wowed by him as they have been kind of wowed by Simon the sorcerer before him. It could mean that, or it could mean what I would describe as maybe being complete, or if you will, having a full measure of the fruit of the Spirit. One who we can look at his life, and we see that he is producing the fruit of the Spirit in full measure, if you will. Again, not a perfect man, not sinlessly flawless, but one whom we would say is mature in their faith, that they are producing the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And then thirdly, the apostle said to the church there in Jerusalem, you are looking for men who are full of wisdom. This is, again, the same idea of what we just talked about, full of the Spirit. At least it has some connection to that. That you are looking for men, I believe the apostles were saying, who have a complete full measure, if you will, of God's divine knowledge, of God's wisdom, of God's understanding. Again, not that they at this point would have understand, understood every little thing about the old scriptures as we would describe them. But one who has, has a good understanding, who has uh, a mature understanding, and one who is living it out practically in his life. Now, really, these ought to be characters, character traits for all of us who are Christians, aren't they? At least as we're growing in Christ, we ought to be people who have a good reputation. We ought to be 
producing the fruit of the Spirit within our life. And in greater measure as time goes on, we ought to be people who are walking according to God's wisdom. And we see uh, that, I think, in these men. And what I was thinking of earlier here about uh, where I said it's full of the Spirit, thinking about really pertaining to full of wisdom, that we see in Stephen and in Philip, both of those men go out preaching the Word. In fact, we come to Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, because of the persecution of Saul and others, every Christian except the apostles goes from Jerusalem and they are preaching the Word of God. But here is someone who doesn't just have intellectual or factual knowledge of the Word. Here, is, here are men who have been able to apply that and live that out in their daily lives. As we think about, continue to think about the character of men who serve as deacons, then we want to go to the passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, we're not going to read this entire passage. I, I assume that we are familiar, familiar with it. By the way, as we're talking about deacons this morning, if you have something else from these passages that you want to discuss, I'll be glad to discuss that with you. And as I'm giving you my thoughts or understandings of, of some of these words and phrases that are used in these two texts, uh, you may have a different thought or different understanding. You may disagree. You may see a greater depth to some of these qualities than what I see, and I'll be happy to discuss that uh, with you as well. 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's notice two verses here at this particular point. Verse 8, first of all, uh, Paul writes here that deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. And then at verse 10, he goes on to say that these men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So think about a few things related to the character of a man who would serve in this capacity, do this work in a local church. Number one, Paul says that these men must be dignified. Some versions use the word reverend. I think some of the old translations use the word grave. But that word grave means something different to us than it did back then. It is the idea of a man who is in awe of God. It is someone who is God-fearing in their life, someone who is trying to live a righteous life. It is the idea of someone who is sober-minded about life, someone who is serious about life. And not that any of us who are Christians or Men who serve as deacons would go around with a somber face, a somber look on their face all the time. But there is a seriousness. There is because of the spiritual growth in their life, because they have matured spiritually, that they have a sober-mindedness about life and about God and about the work God has called us to do. Secondly, Paul says that men who serve as deacons are not to be double-tongued. That is, again, as we talked about with a good reputation from Acts chapter 6 and verse 2, that these are to be honest men. They are to be men of integrity. That how we see them perhaps on a Sunday or a Wednesday is how we would see them if we went to their workplace on a Monday or a Thursday. How we would see them if we went to, into their home on a Wednesday or Saturday. How we would see them at the ball field. How we would see them everywhere in life. That they are men of integrity. They are men of wholeness, spiritually speaking. Here is someone who is not a hypocrite. Here is someone who is not a gossiper. That they're not double-tongued. They're not uh, saying one thing to someone and then turning around and saying something exactly opposite to someone else. We're going to mention this here in a few moments and kind of tie all this together. But all of these character traits, qualities that Paul is listing here 
are not just things that he has chosen just at random. <laughs> there, there's a point to them. There is a purpose to them. And we'll see that here in just a few moments. He goes on to say about men who serve as deacons that they must not be addicted to much wine or fond of sordid game. I believe at the root of these two qualities is the idea of a man who is self-controlled. Here is a man who is not, if you think about it from the being fond of sordid game, here is a man who is not covetous. And there are lots of warnings that Jesus gives us in the Gospels about watching out for greed, watching out for covetousness. Here is a person, a man, who is not under the influence, I think we could say, of any temptation, any addiction that would be sin, that would draw us away from God. But rather, here is a man who is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In the vein of what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, about verses 20 and 21, as he is encouraging us back to verse 15 to uh, walk with wisdom. And he says a part of our wise walk is to not be given to dissipation of some alcoholic or some intoxicating drink, but to be filled with the Spirit. That we are to be living our life under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. There is, we're not going to get into all of this. If you want to discuss it later, we can. What is, you know, addicted to much wine as opposed to what is said there to shepherds. To me, I think the main point here is this man is living, as we just talked about, a sober-minded life. Not just being sober from the standpoint of uh, alcohol taking over our mind and our body or not, but anything that may be addicting to us, that here is a man who has matured to walk his life according to the Holy Spirit. And then he says, related to the character of a deacon, that they are to be beyond reproach. It's not the idea of a man who is sinless, obviously, but it is the idea of one who is living his life above the world. He is, he is living his life according to the standard of God, which is a very, very high standard. When this particular man sins, he, he candidly and readily admits that sin and turns away from that sin. He truly repents of that sin. Again, as you think about these character traits that are, Paul is taking and applying specifically to men who do the work of deacons, I think we could say in all of these character traits, that should be true of all of us who are Christians, at least as we are growing in our faith. Now, as you first, someone first comes out of the waters of baptism, if they've come especially from the world, there are going to be addictions. There are going to be temptations that they have struggled with for a long time. There are going to be a lot of things that they have to put off, putting off the old man. And even for those of us who grew up in a home where our, our parents were Christians, there are going to be struggles and sins and temptations that have been a part of who we are maybe for a long time. And that's going to take some time to get those things out of our system and replace them with the fruit of the Spirit and to grow spiritually. But these are all things that we need, that need to characterize all of us who are Christians. Paul states here, as you look at this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 10, that these men, he says, must also first be tested he says that deacons are to be tested before they do the work of a deacon. And specifically, I believe he connects this testing to what he has said here at this last uh, quality or character quality is they need to be above reproach or they need to be beyond reproach. And so as a congregation, we need to test, we need to examine, we need to carefully consider any brother before he becomes a deacon, any brother before he 
would shepherd us as a shepherd of this flock. Any brother, we don't have this specifically said in Scripture, but any brother, and I hope you as a congregation did this when you were looking for an evangelist to work with you, but to test that man, to examine him, to get to know him as much as you can in a few days, to listen to his sermons that are readily available online, to talk to other people who know him, to just get to know something about who he is, where he is in his walk with Christ. And to do that not from the standpoint of hoping to find something that we can say, hey, we found this little, like politicians do, <laughs> we found this little bit of juicy whatever in, in his past and we're, we're just so glad we can use that against him and he can't serve the church in this way. No, I think it is from the standpoint that we are testing these men in hopes that they will pass the test because we know it is God's plan for there to be elders and deacons in local churches. Then we move to some traits that are said about uh, deacons, their conduct and their experience. Staying here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verse 9. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 9, Paul goes on to say about deacons that they are men who are holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Here is a man who is only clinging to the faith. He is only clinging to this book that we call the Bible, the Word of God. Here is a man who is holding fast to that. And we are encouraged throughout the epistles, as all Christians, we are to be holding fast. Even Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 in the section about us shining as lights in the, the world of darkness, that we are to be people who are holding fast to the word of life as he describes it there in that particular text. That is true of one who is to do the work of a deacon. That suggests to me that this brother has a good, well-rounded knowledge of the word as we have already spoken about, coupled with a clean, clear conscience in applying God's word, first of all, to himself, to his own life, but then in the testing ground of the family, applying God's word to his family. I'm getting behind here on the PowerPoint. Uh, he says, secondly, that uh, as we think about their conduct and especially their experience down at verse 12, the deacons, he says, must be the husbands of one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. The husband of one wife, much debated, <laughs> I guess, for centuries now among Christians as to all that that means. And I'm not here this morning to... Uh, to dive into that per se. But it really is the idea, as has often been stated, the idea of a one-woman man. That here is a man who is a loving and a loyal and a sacrificing and a serving spiritual head to his wife. He is helping her to grow up in Christ. Just as we read about in Ephesians chapter 5 in the marriage relationship, husband-wife relationship, in the Christ church relationship there, that Christ certainly is the perfect uh, husband, if you will. He is the perfect head to his body. Sometimes we fail in that. But we are looking for a man not who is a perfect husband, but we are looking for a man who is trying to emulate Christ in his dealings with his wife. He is interested not only in himself growing up in Christ, he is doing everything that he can to help his wife grow in Christ. My understanding of what is said to us here in verse 11 about women, or some versions say wives, that they must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things, that Paul is speaking of the wives of those who would be deacons and perhaps even those who would be shepherds. But her character needs to be of such uh, 
uh, a reputation that she too is trying to look like Christ, that she too is growing in Christ and her husband is helping her in that. Secondly, related to experience in our, in our families, he says a man who is going to serve the congregation as a deacon needs to be a good manager, a good steward of their own children and of, of his own household. Here is the idea of a man, again, who must be a spiritual leader of his house, which obviously, if he has children, includes his children. He, he must provide for, as we mentioned just a few moments ago, and thinking about the character traits of a man who would serve as a deacon, he must be one who is providing for and caring for his family in, in every way that he is capable of doing that. I mean, all of us have limitations as human beings, don't we? But as far as his capacity goes and the gifts that God has given to him, he is providing for and caring for his family in every way that they need his particular care. Again, we're not looking for a perfect man but we are looking as we look at his experience and leading his own family and providing for his family physically and providing for his family spiritually and providing for his family as best he can emotionally and, and helping their, to meet their emotional needs and their helping them to his children to grow up and to be respectable people. Just in every way that God has given him those gifts and those opportunities that he is making use of that. I think I see here a man who spends a lot of time with his family. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have hobbies outside or he doesn't play sports or he never gets together with his friends. He doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that he never goes to work where he's not around his family, his wife and his children all day, but he has made family his priority. As you look at not just these traits of conduct and experience, but what we've already noticed about a man's character. We, we sometimes think of elders or shepherds as men who do spiritual work. And deacons from the standpoint of just doing, quote, physical work. And I believe in some aspects that may be right. If the men in Acts chapter 6 were, in fact, the first record we have of, of deacons in a local congregation, they, the congregation was to select those men to serve tables. The apostles needed to devote themselves fully to preaching and prayer, basically. That was their emphasis, their uh, uh, realm of work, if you will. But I would ask you, why go through all of this if we're just selecting men to change light bulbs or we're just selecting men to lay carpet or we're just selecting men to take care of our facilities, and certainly we need people to do all of those things. But to me, in my mind, these character and conduct and experience traits suggest that deacons also can do spiritual work, that the work that they do that's maybe of a physical nature, it has a spiritual point or focus or application for all of us, the congregation as a whole. That's not to say that deacons are to be shepherding the flock or overseeing the flock in exactly the same way that those who are elders or shepherds do. But again, all of us who are Christians are to be doing spiritual work. Even when we may be doing something that we think is kind of mundane, that is, has a physical component to it. If that's not the case, I do not know why God would require these spiritual traits of these men. If all these seven men that were chosen in Acts chapter 6 were doing were just taking food to widows or whatever needs that, they, that needed to be met, I could see some of these spiritual qualities 
But to think about the work they're doing has an impact on those widows' souls. And again, I would cite Stephen and Philip that they were very much about the business of doing spiritual work, of preaching and teaching the gospel in different places in the world. Also, I want you to notice, and this is just kind of in passing here, but back to Acts chapter 6 and verse 3, that since deacons are to be put in charge, as the text says there, they, they are to be put in charge of their areas of service, that is another reason in my mind why they need to possess these spiritual qualities. I served as a deacon in the church in Kentucky uh, for about a little over seven years before we uh, moved here. And in a lot of ways, I think the work that I do as an evangelist and preacher, there is some shepherding involved in that. And so the work of elders and evangelists overlaps some. There is in the work of an evangelist work that deacons do. And so uh, I found that was the case as time went on. But deacons, uh, could we say, as in the words of the Apostle Paul, they are to be put in charge of those things. Sometimes some of our deacons, even myself, sometimes thought that if this was a particular work or need that that needed to be fulfilled in, in the congregation, that I personally had to do all of that. And I think the point, at least I get, one thing I get out of Acts 6 and verse 3 is, in that language of putting in charge, that no, we have been given the responsibility to make sure that those things are done. And our eldership there encouraged us as deacons say, you don't have to do every specific thing yourself, but you might even take, and some of those deacons did, to take some younger men or even some younger women and say, hey, I, I have noticed that you have this particular gift. You have this particular ability. You have an opportunity here to serve in a way that I don't and to help develop uh, even younger ones in the work that we uh, would do as deacons. Well, each of these character traits in my mind in some way or another relates to the work that God has given deacons to do in serving the church. I want us to really keep that in mind, and not just for this lesson, not just at this time in this congregation's history, but to kind of keep that in the back of our mind as we go forward, that all of these things that are told to us in the Word of God about deacons, about shepherds, about evangelists, about all of us who are Christians, They are not given to us in a vacuum. They're not just, you know, qualities or characteristics that God, the Holy Spirit, picked out of thin air and said, I think this would fill the page well in Acts 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's keep this thought in mind and not just see them also as checklists or as just random lists with no purpose. But I believe Paul is describing for us a certain kind of brother in Christ that we need to be looking for. There is a great reward that deacons have as you continue here in the text at 1 Timothy 3 and verse 13. Paul says here, for those who serve well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Deacons who do their work well receive blessings, they receive benefits, they receive rewards for their service to the Lord and to His people. Paul describes it in these two ways, that they will have a high standing, a good standing, if you will, before God and before His people. They will be men who have a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They will be men, as one writer said, who will have this free and fearless confidence or boldness, especially as it relates to the work that they are doing of deacons, but also as it relates to their own walk and growth in Jesus Christ. As we come to the close of our lesson this morning, would you 
would you join me in a quick prayer? Our great and wonderful Father in heaven, we recognize you as the creator of all. We recognize you as the sustainer of life. We know, Father, that you love us, and you have shown that beyond a shadow of a doubt in sending your Son here to this world. We are thankful, dear Father, that you are a God of order, that you are a God of purpose, and that in your infinite wisdom you have seen fit to, to have order and to have purpose in local groups of your people. As we as a congregation are considering our brother Drew, and, and hopefully in the future as we consider other men that would serve us in special roles and special ways, that we would always keep in mind what your word has gives us counsel about those matters, that we would examine our brothers who want to do this good work and with the hope of, of finding that they will be prepared, that they will be ready to step into these roles and to lead us and to serve us so that we all might be growing up in you, that we all might be looking more like Christ in our individual lives and as a whole, that we might be growing to be the church that you have called us to be. We are so thankful and we are mindful of your son, Jesus Christ, as he came and is still our good shepherd, our great shepherd. And he is the one who still continues to serve us, even though he is Lord and master of our lives. Help us, Father, to all be examining our hearts and our lives each day to make sure that we look more like him today than we did yesterday. Please be with us, uh, dear Father, as we uh, continue to strive to grow, as we strive to spread your word to others that they too can enjoy the blessings and benefits that we enjoy as your children. We're so thankful for this congregation and for the, the uh, men who shepherd us and lead us. We're thankful for the men among us who uh, serve in the role of deacon for uh, John and Stephen and uh, Kirk and Cody and Don. We're thankful, Father, for them and their wives and their families in preparing themselves to do this good work that is so needed. And we ask that you would continue to, to bless them and help us to be a blessing and an encouragement to them that we all can, can grow together and we can accomplish much good for you. Our Father, we are thankful again that you love us, that you care for us, that you provide for every need that we have. We're thankful that we have this blessing of prayer, that we can approach your throne of mercy and grace through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his, his name that we pray. Amen. What about you this morning? Are you God's servant? Are you truly God's servant? God has called us to greatness, but it's not the kind of greatness that the world thinks about. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, then be the greatest servant, just like me. Does that appeal to you this morning? If so, we, would, we hope that you would act. We hope that you would respond to the invitation call of Jesus Christ and decide that today is the day you want to become a follower of his. If you as a follower of him are struggling, if you have gotten off the path, come back. We will help you. We will encourage you. We will pray for you. We will study with you. 
We will help you to see how the Bible can be practically lived out in your life in whatever way that you might have a spiritual need. If we can help you to meet that need this morning, we encourage you and invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.